Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to Church Online. We're so honored you're here with us today. If you're our guest, if this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for being here with us. We're kicking off a brand new series today we've called Be Rich. Now, I know what you're thinking when you hear a phrase like that, but it's probably not quite exactly what you think. All month long, we're going to be talking about things like giving and serving those around us and loving people who God's placed in our sphere of influence well. We get all of this from a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. It's our theme verse right there in your notes. You can see that. And we're going to read it all month together. It says this. It says, To teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. What does he say? They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. In the following three weeks after today, we're going to talk about how to give and how to serve and how to love people well based on this passage of Scripture. But really, what I've learned is none of this is possible without buying into the first part of that verse first. Now, if you're tuning in today, many of you, uh, probably most of us, chances are um, that we're all in what we would call the 1% club. If your household income is more, is is $35,000 or more a year, that's everybody together in your home. If it's $35,000 more a year, Check this out. We're in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. I didn't grow up in what most would call a wealthy home uh, by modern standards. Chances are most of you didn't either. But there's a reason that we think that way, right? It's because we don't feel wealthy. But what would you think if, if, if to know that most people around the world think if you make $35,000 more, more or more a year, they think you are filthy, stinking rich. And so in light of what, what the world thinks and, and really what the reality is globally, this passage of Scripture hits home to us And it should hit home in a way that maybe we haven't thought of before. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. We've witnessed more. We've all been there, right? Like we've all been in the point in our life where there was more month than money. Many of you would probably go, there's no way I could be rich. I've never felt rich, nor have I ever experienced that much surplus in my life. I've been there. There's been more month than money, more times than there haven't been in my life growing up and in, uh, in, in seasons of my life. At some point in your life, you've probably experienced that as well. Some people right now as you're tuning in may still be living in that truth. But what if I told you that digging out of that reality has a whole lot less to do with making more money and a whole lot more to do with what you're doing with what you already have. What if I told you that being rich is more of a philosophy, a mindset, than a physical process? Did you know the Bible talks about money more than 140 times? It talks more about money than most other topics in all of the Bible. 
The Bible speaks to money and our possessions and how we handle them and how we treat them and what we do with them more than it does sin, more than it does our spiritual, our spirituality. It, had, it, it talks about it more than it does heaven or hell. God knows, and I believe it's true, that God knew that how we handle our resources greatly mirrors what we think about God. You know, the Bible even speaks to tithing in Deuteronomy. It says that it teaches us to tithe because it teaches us to put God first. What we do with what we have determines where our loyalties lie. Jesus illustrated this so well when he shared a parable in Luke chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. I'll just give you an overview of that story. In that story, Jesus told a story about a man who was a rich farmer. He had done so well in growing this farm. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12 that it was a fertile farm. And he had done so well that he had way accomplished more than he ever thought that he would. And he had gotten so much out of his crops that there was nowhere else to put the stuff that he had. And the Bible says that he, that he thought to himself, Self, what am I going to do with all of this stuff? I know what I'll do. I'm going to build bigger barns and build bigger things. And he did. He tore everything down. He was going to tear everything down and, and build bigger things so that he could store it up for himself. And he said, once I do that, I'll have plenty to last. And I'll say to myself, now all I need to do is sit back and be merry and drink and, and enjoy the rest of my life. And Jesus said, but God told that man, little did you know that this very night your life was going to be taken from you. And now who's going to get all of this resource that you've worked so hard for? Jesus illustrated it so well. It's not all about the stuff that I can accumulate for myself, but it's what am I doing with what God has given me to make a difference in the world around me. Not to trust in my own resources. Don't trust in money that's here today and gone tomorrow, but our trust should be in God. No one has to have their heads in a hole to know that culture just thinks differently than that, than a biblically worldview, right? But even as followers of Jesus, many times we fall victim to that same mentality. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive into our notes today. I'm going to share with you. I'm going to shine some light on really what culture teaches us to do and how opposite it is with what Jesus teaches us to do in light of not trusting in the things of this world. Because if we're ever going to be rich in what God wants us to be rich in, we have to get this part right first. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're grateful for your love and your mercy and your grace on our life. We're thankful for your word today, that it gives us life. And through your word, you equip us and teach us and inspire us and challenge us and convict us. And, and God, you give us the tools we need to live our life on purpose in a way that honors you. So I pray that you do that today. God, that we walk away from this word, we walk away from your message inspired to make a difference in the world. God, to trust you over anything else. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the get rich quick. What does culture think about it? Number one, you need to write this down. It teaches us to trust in our possessions. Trust in your possessions. That's what culture teaches you to do, to trust in your possessions. And it shows it in Luke chapter 12, verse 14, in, in the story that Jesus was telling. It says that he, he, he replied, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? Someone had just yelled out to Jesus, hey, make my brother share an inheritance with me. And Jesus responded to him, I'm not a judge over that. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. 
Life's not measured by how much you own. It's not about the amount of possessions we can gain in our life. I've learned this over time that only a fool thinks his quality of life is dependent on his possessions. We said just a moment ago that if you make $35,000 or more a year, you were in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. If life was more, was all about what we could possess, if our quality of life depended on possessions, then that would mean the entire world, most of the entire world has no quality of life. For the gospel to be the gospel, the good news for the entire world, listen y'all, it's got to work in every corner of the world, in every culture. Americans are in the top 1% of all of the world. Congratulations. In the vast majority of the world, that's what they think. But here's what that means. The gospel can't just work here. It's got to work everywhere. So Jesus is reminding them that life is not measured by how much you own. I hope that takes some pressure off of somebody's shoulders today. That it's not about what, what culture would call the American dream. Get all you can, as much as you can, as fast as you can. It's all about you. Go get it. Trust in your possessions. I'll remember the first time I went to Mexico on a short-term mission trip right across the border of El Paso into Juarez. And we visited this home, and it was a pallet home. And when I say a pallet home, that's what, you ima- what you're imagining is exactly what it was. It was a home made out of pallets with gaps in each pallet, in each, between each piece of wood about that wide. And they would stuff blankets in between the gaps in these pallets. And these pallet homes had been there, some of them, 25, 30 years. When the wood rots, they just tear them down and build more around them. Some of them are homes made out of old tires even, whatever they could find. And we visited this home and this family was so lit up with joy that we would come and we were praying with them and visiting with them and they offered food for us and the children were happy and full of life. And and I just remember walking out of that home and as I walked out the front door, I could literally see the University of UTEP across the border. They were that close to the land of the free, the home of the brave. They were that close to what the world views as the richest nation in the world with zero hope of ever getting out of their circumstance. Yet, they had more joy in that little home than I've seen in many homes in our cities and in our communities and in our church. They recognized that their trust was not in their possessions because they didn't have possessions. I love a quote by Jim Carrey. I read it years ago and it's always stuck with me. He said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and everything they ever dreamed of so that they could see that that's just not the answer. There's more to life, Jesus says, than how much you own, than the stuff you get. If you are measuring your life by the possessions that you have, the quality of life that you have is measured by how much you can get and gain. I'm telling you, you're missing out. You've bought into a lie of culture. Number two, culture teaches us to trust in our profession. Trust in our profession. How many of us have trusted so much into 
what we feel like our calling is, the profession that we have in our life, our jobs. Luke chapter 12, it goes on in 16 and 17. He told them this story that I just told you about. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. It was him, his job, his life, his identity. Everything was wrapped up in what he did. That's not so far from the reality of culture in America and around the world. We find our identity so much in what we do. So much so, if you're ever in just a short conversation with people or you're getting to know someone, it's very common. One of the most common things to ask is, so what do you do? Come on, have you ever asked that? What do you do? What does that even mean? Well, we know what it means. It's what's your job? What's your identity? Did you know this? The most popular surname in Germany, Switzerland is Mueller, which translates to Miller. Uh, in Ukraine, it's Milnik. Both words mean Miller. There's another one in Slovakia named Varga, a word that means cobbler. All this dates back. In America, it's Smith, short for blacksmith or, or gunsmith. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, literal family names were, designed, were, were, were labeled. Your last name was given to you based on what you did. And even today, we, we size people up based on what they do. So when you ask somebody, what do you do? And they go, well, I'm a physician, or I'm a mechanic, or I'm a teacher, or I work in the service industry. Fill in the blank. We immediately size people up based on what they do. And whatever they would tell you, you go, oh, well, that's a pretty smart person. Or, oh, that's a pretty wealthy person. And you immediately decide in those moments if you have anything in common with those people. Identity. Trust in what we do. We trust in our professions. I love this quote by Ann Wilson. She wrote a book about uh, what, uh, what people call workism or uh, finding our, all of our identity in the things that we do. She said, if you tie your self-worth to your career, then the success and failures you experience will directly affect your self-worth. Just like life is more than the things that we get than the stuff that we have, our possessions, it's also more than the jobs that we work. But so many of us are wrapped around our profession. Everything that we do is wrapped in it. The old saying, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life, it just isn't true. Your identity will only ever be found in one thing. His name is Jesus. And I can tell you, because I'm a workaholic, I'm a self-proclaimed workaholic, I, I, I have done it my entire life, and, and I've learned that that's not true. If my identity is found up, even in something as incredible as what I get to do with my life, I've walked through seasons where that became my identity, and it ruined me because my identity is not what even God calls me to. It's got to be found in Him alone. One of the greatest life lessons that I've ever learned Years ago, about 15 years ago, my pastor at the time walked into my office and he asked me, he said, Brandon, what are you doing here? And it was the middle of the week and I just told him, I said, I'm, I'm working, what are you talking about? He said, Brandon, let me tell you something. He said, one day you're going to load up a U-Haul and you're going to move to another city and the only people that are going to be in that car with you is your family. He said, so you need to stop working so much and you need to go be with them. 
And it was a light bulb that went off in my head because I found myself, I found my identity in ministry. Come on, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Well, what do you do? I'm, I'm in ministry. And for years, I found my identity in that. And the truth is, in finding my identity in those things, I buried myself into the work of the ministry. I buried myself into the work, the, the, the workload that, that I had given myself or that I felt like God had given me. And there's never enough time and there's always more to do. Always only realizing that I was neglecting God's ultimate call on my life. I was neglecting my family. Many of us tuning in today, your trust is in your profession. So you think to yourself, I'll work one more hour. I'll work one more shift. I'll work one more overtime shift. I'll just get one more day in. And your trust is in your profession. Your trust is in those things. You think if that goes away, what would I do? We've bought into the lie. We trust in our possessions. We trust in our profession. And many of us, number three, we trust in our power. Then he said, Luke chapter 12, verse 18, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. Come on, what is he saying? It's all, I can do it. I'm strong enough. I can make it happen. I don't need anybody. I don't need community. I don't need my family. I don't need help. I am strong enough, smart enough, big enough to make it happen on my own. Faced with a dilemma, he said the most prideful thing humanity can say, I know. Come on, how many of us have been there? I know the answer. I can fix it. I don't need anyone's help. I know how I feel. You stick with your truth. I'll stick with mine. Except Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Come on, how many times have you trusted in your own abilities, your own power, your own strength? The reality is we all need people in our lives that have permission to speak into our decisions and at times, at times, challenge them. I don't even, uh, if I don't, if I don't have that, if I don't have people in my life that can challenge my decisions at times, I'm missing the mark. That's the missing link to living your life on purpose. God designed us to do life together. But we're trusting in our own strength and our own abilities. Even if you've prayed about it, if every godly influence in your life is challenging your decision, it's probably God. And you need to think twice about trusting in your own abilities. I'll never forget the time that someone confirmed our decision or challenged our decision to plant this church. We had plenty of people challenging why another church? Why multiple pastors? Why that model? But I can tell you, I'm thankful. Thank God. I thank God all the time. I thank God every day that we, had, we were surrounded with people in our life, godly people who loved him and loved his plan for our life, who confirmed God's call on our life. There were plenty of voices out there that didn't know us and had nothing to do with us who wanted to tell us that it wouldn't work and that it wouldn't, there's no way it could happen. But thank God we were surrounded with people who heard the voice of God and confirmed it inside of us. Listen, there's going to be plenty of negative voices in your life. You have to have people in your life who can help you and challenge you and confirm what God's doing in you. And if all you're trusting in is your own power, you're going to mess up more times than you ever get it right. 
So I want to share with you three things. How do I begin to get rich for real? How do I actually begin to walk in what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks? Being rich in generosity and serving and loving people. We know that it doesn't, I can't buy into the lie of culture. I can't buy into what that's, what's, so, what's going on there. So how, what do I need to buy into? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, you need to know that you've got to trust God's provision. You've got to trust His. Listen, I can tell you this, the, the more possessions you accumulate, it's just humanity. The easier it is in life to begin to trust in those things. God is not against you having nice things. He's not against us having nice things. But Jesus said it this way, you can't serve God and money. It's who you're serving. And who you're trusting is who you're serving. You need to write that down. Who you're trusting is who you're serving. You need to trust God's provision. So he goes on to, after sharing that story, Jesus begins to teach them in Luke chapter 12, verse 22. He says, that's why I'm telling you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Listen, I remember when my wife and I got married. We've talked about this before. We were poor. Like we didn't have any money. I made $100 a week. I was well, well below that international wealthy line when we got married. We've said it often. We went to Kentucky Fried Chicken to lick other people's fingers. We were so poor. We would, I have a clue how we made it. We trusted God. We learned early on to trust in God's provision. God always provided I'm standing here today a testimony, a living testimony of the provision of God. Many ways, many times, we didn't even see it coming. Speaking opportunities, hard work opportunities too. Those things showed, uh, opportunities showed in all kinds of different forms. But it was always Him providing it. We learned to always look to God and wait on God. I love the quote by Thomas Edison. It says, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. I'm just telling you, if you can begin to put your trust in God's provision, I know this, where God guides, he always provides. At what point are you going to stop toiling over life, trusting in your stuff or the lack thereof, trusting in your abilities, trusting in your, uh, your profession? When are you going to stop toiling over what's next in that avenue of your life and just resting in the peace and the provision of God? Number two, you need to trust God's passion. This one is huge. You need to know, as he goes on and tells us in Luke chapter 12, look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, listen, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith. There is nothing in the universe that God is more passionate about than you. Nothing else. Why do we have so little faith? Because we believe the lie that we've gone too far, that we've done too much, that our value is less than, and there's no way that God could love me like he loves someone else. 
And Jesus reminds us in this passage of Scripture, look at a simple flower that's here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow and how beautiful it is and how much God decorates it and takes care of it and how much more passionate is God for you. Here's what I've learned in my life. Something is only as valuable as what someone is willing to pay for it. Isn't that true? That's true for all of us told a story before in our church and about a time that I took my daughter uh, to an arcade and we spent hours together and uh, uh, playing in this arcade and playing all the games and she earned all of these tickets and at the end of the night we got up and she cashed in her tickets and $85 we spent on two erasers and a sucker. Come on, I felt like a sucker. I still have those two erasers. And it reminds me, it's a reminder to me of the value that time is important with my daughter. Here's what I know. Nobody on earth would pay me $85 for those two erasers, but I wouldn't give, I wouldn't take the $85 back for the memory that I had with my girl. Something is only as valuable as what someone is willing to pay for it. It's valuable to me. It may not be that valuable to you. You can go time and time again. There's plenty of things in this world that may be valuable to you that's not valuable to anyone else. There's time, there's people in this world who have signed major contracts. Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs signed a $503 million contract with the Kansas City Chiefs to play football, to throw some pigskin around. $503 million. That's a lot of money. They found value that nobody else found value in, right? Something's only as valuable as what someone's willing to pay for it. And that sheds all of the light on God's passion for you and me. In John 3, 16, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's how passionate God is for you and for me. How dare we stand in this season of our life in the shadow of a blood-stained cross from Jesus and declare how unvaluable we are or how little we are or how unloved we are. You are pa- God is passionately in love with you. And I'm telling you today to begin to trust his passion for you. Know that he loves you and stop believing the lie that you've gone too far or done too much. And the last thing I'll share with you is you need to learn to trust God's promise. You see, he goes on to talk about it in Luke chapter 12, verse 31. He reminds them, don't worry about all of this stuff. Stop stop trying to figure it out on your own, trusting in your possessions, trusting in your profession, trusting in all of those things. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. I love this, for it gives the Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. The Bible reminds us in Numbers chapter 23 that God is not a human that he should lie. He's not a human being that he would change his mind. Today you need to know there is a promise from God that today in this moment you need to begin to take all of your focus, place all of your trust away from you and away from culture's lie and place it on him. Seek first the kingdom and he will give everything to you. Right now in this moment, I want to pray with you. You're here, you're tuning in, and you've been struggling with those realities. You've trusted in your own possessions. You've trusted in your your profession. You've trusted in your own power and your own abilities. And come on, let me ask, ask yourself this question. Where has that gotten me? Today, I'm going to invite you into a new reality. I'm going to invite you 
to what Scripture, what Paul challenges us to do in our theme verse. Don't put your trust in the world that's here today and gone tomorrow. Put your trust in God who provides us with all things to enjoy. Come on, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. Here's my question for you today. Are you living a full life? Come on, if not, I'm gonna invite you into a relationship with him. You could simply say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I'm sorry for living my life, my own strength, my own abilities, trusting my own way. I've believed the lie of culture for far too long and today I'm trusting in God. So Father, I lay my life down and I pick up the salvation that only comes from Jesus. I accept you as my savior. And from this day forward, I'm gonna follow you as my Lord. God, you'll get all the glory and all the honor. I'm gonna live my life on purpose for you. And that makes all the difference. In Jesus' name, amen.